Welcome to the Soft Life with Sadie Baddies. Sadie Baddies is the antidote to mental health stigma, and this podcast is hosted by yours truly, Priscilla O. Adjman. We are a virtual sanctuary centering Black and multiracial people, and we prioritize the mental and emotional nourishment that is the foundation of collective healing in our communities. Thank you for being here. Hello and welcome back to the Soft Life Podcast. Today we have the honor of talking to the incredible Amani Trishan, and we are so, so, so excited to talk to you and welcome you into the Soft Life. Welcome, Amani. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. So happy to have you. So if you have been part of this ride for the last four and a half years, Amani was actually one of the first people we ever, ever interviewed for our blog back in 2019. And it's so amazing to be able to have you on the podcast now and just have more in-depth, you know, background and information about where you've been up to um, and just learn more about you. So can you tell us right now, you know, first and foremost, how you're feeling in this present moment? Um, Where are you? I know that you're in the South right now, but tell us a little bit about your surroundings. Yeah. So um, I'm actually a little bit tired. I got back last night, (laughs) Um, but I'm in Austin, Texas. I'm preparing to go play overseas in China. So things are a bit hectic right now because I'm like waiting for my flight and trying to pack up my life and do all those things. Um, And like see family before I leave and make sure everything is in order. Um, But I think the best thing and like what always grounds me is just gratitude. Like I'm happy to have these problems, you know? So. Yeah, of course. I saw last night on your story, you were like doing your hair and like juggling. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, honestly, if she makes this tomorrow, she's a legend. Like you're literally a legend for that. So shout out to you because I know yes. the struggle right now. Trust me. Under this head wrap right now, you don't want to know. Um, so grateful to have you, though. Um, I'm glad that you're able to to make time for for, you know, reflection. Um, so. I know that you're a Libra and your birthday's coming up very soon, Libra gang. Yeah. But tell us more about who are you in your own words? Like what describes Amani in your own words, whether that's the city or the country that you grew up in, your environment, your upbringing? Who are you in your own words? I think first and foremost, I love unicorns. I'm obsessed with unicorns. <laughs> um, so I'm a unicorn. Um, And I say that because, like, I don't think I'm, like, one in a lifetime. You'll never meet somebody like me. But I know that I'm a rare breed, you know? Mm. You don't come across people like me often. Um, And, like, that's mainly just because of my heart. Like, I'm a lover through and through. Um, And that's something that took me a really long time to, like, come to terms with. Because I think when you are a lover, you have really big emotions. Yeah. Um, And if you have a background of abuse like me, like, those feelings are scary. Mm. Um, and so like for the longest I tried to kind of tone down like how much I care about people or say, and I still, I think I am still very kind of closed off in certain reform, certain regards, but I think it's more about, instead of me like trying to change it, I kind of pray more for discernment now. Yeah. And I think of it more like, you know, like my heart is my superpower. And even if this situation didn't work out for me, that person probably needed that experience. And I did too, in some ways as well. Right. Like, what did I learn? Right. How can I move forward? So I think like the biggest thing is like, I mean, I'm bipolar. I'm a huge mental health advocate. I try to make sure that um, my story enters every room with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a sexual abuse survivor. Um, and I think for me, it's important that I show what it looks like after. I don't think we see after the trauma often and yeah. like that the world goes on and like we're not constantly suffering there is another part of this and there's another side of this and like we can be okay and live full lives so yeah that's me <laughs> yes that's i mean i love that you first of all called yourself the unicorn i think more people should identify that way but i think the fact that you're one of the few people who do just shows that you are a unicorn and that's so dope i appreciate that and you know, just speaking a little bit about what you shared about being a trauma survivor, as well as being someone that is diagnosed with bipolar disorder, how there is another side of it. There is another side to the suffering, to the pain. And that's literally what the soft life is about. It's not about ignoring the hardships that we have in life. Instead, it's inviting both and and embracing the duality that makes all of us humans, right? So I, I love that you, you know, shared that. 
And where did you grow up? Like where, what is your, where are your stomping grounds? Um, what do you call home? Yeah, so I'm from Inglewood, California. I am an LA girl through and through. And I like to clarify because people will be like, I'm from LA and they live in like Woodland Hills or they're from like the <laughs> No, I'm an LA girl. So Inglewood, my hospital doesn't even exist anymore. I am <laughs> born and raised in Inglewood, California. Um, but I have spent a lot of my time in the South. Uh, Austin's kind of like a second home. I went here for college. And I recently moved back with my best friend, who was my college point guard and is now a doctor doing residency oh my at UT. God, congrats so, to them. Yeah. We're very much trying our hardest to do our like living single, you know, girlfriends, early 30s I lifestyle. That. I love that. Basically, you're living out insecure, but with your own twist, essentially. Just. Yes. I love that. I love that. All right. So you're a West Coast baby through and through. And um, I know that you have, you know, shared a little bit more about like your family and your upbringing. And can you kind of share how, what was it like for you growing up in your household? And, you know, what, how would you describe like five-year-old Amani growing up? Shout out repression. I don't know that girl. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) oh my god that's why we keep it real we're keeping it real oh so like I think one thing um and I was actually talking about this my friend recently she was just like it's very frustrating to me and there's like scientific evidence that when you experience a lot of trauma your brain like kind of like blacks things out and you erase parts of stuff and it doesn't always have to be bad it's just like how your brain functions and so like I have very little memories of my childhood um, and it's so wild because like my cousin can't remember being two. Like she has vivid memories of her being oh, she like got the photographic memory. Like she has stories of her being three and four, and I'm like, bro, how? But wow. you know, like we have very different lifestyles, and so yeah. I think for me, um, growing up was very tumultuous. It was very chaotic. Um, shout out my parents for doing the best they could. Was not good enough, <laughs> but like I have no doubt, That's like true. they love me. Yeah. But that's the reality, right? Like, I think oftentimes when we think about abuse, um, we think about things that, like how you're saying duality, right? We think about things being like, oh, this person has to be evil all the time. Or like, if you were a group in an abusive household, your parents must have not loved you or cared about you. Yeah. But no, my parents did. They just trusted the wrong people with me. They put me in bad situations. Like, mm-hmm. the circumstances we had led to, right, like my eventual abuse and things like that. And so it's very hard to navigate telling your story without villainizing people, but mm. also like sharing your reality, right? Yeah. Um, so it's that's been that was very hard for me early on sharing my story, just because like my parents would be offended. Yeah. Right? They would be like hurt by those I things. Am. And I'm like, I'm not trying to hurt you. This is right. kind of like it's this was story. my re- Yeah. Right. Um, so navigating those lines are very it's very kind of hard and tricky specifically when it's familial abuse like I was abused by a family member um and so like while I haven't seen him in over a decade he still very much is a part of that side of that side of my family right and so and even then like he wasn't all bad I have great memories with him right Mm -hmm. I still have memories that weren't bad but he also abused me Mm -hmm. right and so it's very hard to kind of walk those lines and navigate those things. Um, and even like to this day, like there's people in my, there's like, I was with my step, my step family, my dad's second wife, her child. And like they, that marriage birthed my little sisters while I loved death. Mm-hmm. But those are their family and they still love those people as well. Yeah. Right. And those people have been amazing to them. So it's very hard to kind of navigate those lines but it's also the duality of humans, right? Like my villain is their favorite person. Wow. And how do you how do you do those things and how do you yeah. tell your story? And and it's a lot of like cognitive dissonance too. Because like in order Oof. for them Yes. Yeah. Right? Let's talk about it. In order for them to believe me, they have to undo things they know about the person they love. Right. Or in the in for like my little sister's mother, like she has to say, like I raised this person and I allowed this to happen. And how did I 
And so I completely understand as an adult, like, yo, you can't believe me. I have to be a liar because how do you navigate that in your own mind, your own conscience and the things that you know to be true? And it's just hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just hard. So like, I'm so thankful that I've been able to return to myself as a human, as an Mm. adult, because I I was told like I was a very compassionate child. I was like a big, like, like, I think when I was like five, I come from super Christian background. Like my dad's a pastor. My aunt has a PhD in theology. Like I grew up in church, like all day, every day. I know. That was me. Yep. Exactly. That is the Bible, church, choir, youth group, all of the ushers. Yep, uh, all of it, all of it. Yes. Praise dance. Yep. Been there, so, done that. Um, <laughs> there's a story of me being like five or six, and my aunt is preaching at like a huge revival, and like I say the prayer, like no fear in my heart, and I just pray for the entire church. We're in a mega church, right? So it's like thousands of people, and I have no fear in my heart, and I'm just like, wow. right. And like, I was just always that kid, like I wanted to help. I have this big compassionate heart. So I'm happy that as an adult, I've been able to return to those things mm. and like return to that girl and find her again and be comfortable in that as opposed to like the person I became because of my abuse, right? Mm. Wow. I just am like taking a moment to sit with that and just want to applaud you for the courage that you have. It is so it's it's incredible because so many of us are you know it's true trauma does change you it affects your brain biologically right it literally changes your dna so the fact that you're able to show compassion for your current self and your inner child at the same time while growing while evolving while changing as a woman is incredible and having the courage to also speak your truth too and name hey, I was mistreated, I was abused. And even if some people don't believe you, you're still speaking your truth. And that is that is what matters, is taking up that space and not allowing someone to, to deny what happened and you believing yourself and having enough compassion for yourself to, to have grace and not beat yourself up and not blame yourself, right? So I really just applaud you for that because that is... That, that's probably the hardest thing we can do as humans, you know, and watching you do that, watching you do that. And I've been, you know, I've known you for over four years now. And like the way that you're so open about it and you've helped so many other people speak up and be open about their difficult upbringings or their difficult past. Like that is incredible. So I just really admire that. Um, I know that you have been doing and have done a lot of mental health advocacy work. You were recently at the NBPA Global Health Summit. You're super, super outspoken about suicide awareness, especially last month, which we just um, acknowledged Suicide Awareness Month. Can you tell us more about how you got into mental health advocacy specifically? Um, Complete accident. Sorry. Complete accident. Uh, (laughs) Literally complete accident. I started, um, like, I used to perform my poetry. And at the time in college, I was performing a piece confronting my abuser. And I had to, like, mix practice. And, like, we used to have our own. Texas used to have their own little network called the Longhorn Network. It was, like, all Texas all day. And so my coach was like, they're going to do a piece about you and your artwork. And they didn't know that I was performing that. Oh, and wow. Yeah. And they were expecting like roses and rainbows. And You're like, nope. <laughs> no, this is dark. <laughs> and Real. at the time, I didn't think anything of it. And I remember them asking me like, yo, I'm like 18, 19 at the time. They're like, do you feel comfortable talking about this? Like, and I'm like, all right. I'm not thinking any, I'm thinking it's going to be like buried on the network. Nobody gets on a Thursday night. Like, you know, like no one cares. Yeah. And ESPN owns like Longhorn Network. They see it. They're like, oh, this needs to be bigger. We're going to put it on ESPN, the real one, on SportsCenter. And we're going to do a whole feature piece about it. The guy that wrote the story actually won like an award about the story. Like ridiculousness. And it just became so much bigger than me. Like immediately. So quickly. And I remember like having this like shame and like fear of like, you know, like 
all these things coming out and my ex I was with at the time, like he was just like, okay, <laughs> like this is what we're doing. And then like, it was just little sh- like sprinkles of somebody I'd grown up my whole life being like, that's my story. Or like, thank you so much. Or like, mm-hmm. like I remember specifically, like after that piece came out, I won an award with a nonprofit in Portland who works with um, abused children, specifically in the foster care system. And they do like this huge camp every year. Um, and like the kind of inside knowledge is that most of the adults that work there were also victims of abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went out there for like two weeks, did the camp with them. Um, my I've never been camping before. So it was also <laughs> <laughs> the city girls outside. Um, <laughs> but it was so comforting to be in that space. Yeah. And also like just meeting people who had like, understood that, that kind of pain, I guess. And then like, I also like met a woman who was in her seventies and she was just like, yo, I've never been to tell anybody. And when I finally got the courage, like my abuser died and I felt like that was wow. like rude to kind of, you know? Yeah. And she was like, so thank you so much for doing that for me. And I'm like, I can't imagine carrying that weight for that long. For that long. Um, wow. And immediately I was like, oh, this is why none of my suicide attempts work. This is, this is my, this is my purpose. Cool. Because outside of me being six, seven, um, like, and having this huge attitude and like kind of personality, like I also have this platform because of basketball. Mm-hmm. And like, when you think of a victim, we all kind of have that picture of what we see and it isn't me. And oftentimes it isn't a black woman. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it isn't our mothers and our sisters and our brothers, right? It's somebody we've pictured as weak or fragile or whatever the case may be. And that's rarely the reality, right? Yeah. And so I was like, oh, like, I have to do this. Like, this is it. Like, this is the purpose. And like, ever since then, like, that's just been the goal. And like, every time I feel like I'm too naked or I get nervous or like, I'm just like, okay, this is too much. Like, or even honestly, like, there's times where I'm just like, I'll never find a partner. Like, because why would someone want to be with somebody that like has all this baggage or does all, has been through all these things? And like, even like being a victim specifically of sexual assault, like there are things you don't know bother you until you're in that situation. Mm-hmm. And like, even in my big age, even though this was literally over almost 20 years ago, there's still things where I'm finding out, like, I'm not comfortable with that. Like, oh, wow. You know? And so- right. That was kind of how I got into it. And every time I think I can't do this work anymore, God's like, mm, I got you. And yep. something happens or some, I talk to somebody or I get an opportunity. Yeah. That I just, and it changes. It just changes while I'm yeah. doing this. Like earlier this year, I got to speak at the United Nations. And come on, like, let's talk. Wait, what? you can't just say that casually. <laughs> you can't just say that casually. The United Nations. And wow. Like, Please tell us. It about makes that. me teary. It makes me teary eyed to think yeah. about it because that's incredible. I think like my goal in life is to be who I need when I was younger. Yeah. And from that, like, is my purpose of creating safe spaces. Um yeah. and so if you would have told 13-year-old me, 15-year-old me, 15-year-old me sitting in a mental in mental health institution, literally on a 4850, <laughs> like that I would not only live past 18, but I would live to be like an adult that can handle things and is okay yeah. and the world isn't falling from the sky every day. Like I wouldn't believe you. Yeah. So for that girl to be able to speak to the world's peacekeepers about mental health and sexual violence and like why young girls should play sport. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Like, that's insane. So yeah. I'm just very thankful that my God loved me enough to not let me decide my future. Yes. Wow. That just gave me chills. Honestly, when something is your life's work or your life's path, you don't really know it when you start. And it's not until you go deeper and deeper and deeper and you start connecting with people that make you realize I needed you to be here. I needed you to be alive to tell your story. I needed you to be the person, the representation that you needed. And literally that is what is unfolding in your life so clearly. And 
I just hope you know that. Like, I'm just so, I'm so proud of you. I'm so, so proud of you. And it's incredible. All of the, it's your advocacy is so personal. It's very much coming from a place of, of course, experience, but also so much compassion because you understand exactly what it's like. And sometimes people just want to be reminded that they're not alone. Because the, the thing about like, you know, when you're going through traumatic experiences, it's very alienating, but you're a constant reminder that people are not alone. And that representation is crucial, especially in our community. So that's incredible. And I'm, again, just so proud of you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about basketball. As we know, basketball is in your blood. You got several professional basketball players in your family. Um, but of course, I'm sure it's been a journey and it's evolved as you've evolved in over the last, say, five years. How would you say your relationship with basketball has changed over the last five years? Man, so I've gone from like the top to the bottom to not playing to like I've done it all at this mm-hmm. point now. So I'll be 29 next week. Um, I became a pro basketball player in 2016. At the beginning of 2020, I took a break for about two to three years. Um, and like I arguably took a break at like kind of the, the peak of my career because I was finishing my rookie contract, just signed another year. Um, I wasn't a starter, but I was still a, a, neat, a vital part of the team. But again, like God be showing up at all times and just doing what he wants. <laughs> he does not care. <laughs> And when COVID happened, I just signed another year with Dallas, but I also actually gotten cut in Australia because I was taking the LSAT and I showed up late to something. Mm. Um, funny how that works because like, I was just like, what? That was not the plan. I took the LSAT just cause, and it just so happened that I was in Australia. So the LSAT was still on paper instead of being digital. So it took way longer than expected. I showed up late to something. Me and that coach already had beef. He was excited to get me up out of there. <laughs> I come home and I'm like, all right, well, I'll get a little surgery on my knee. Nothing crazy. But then COVID happens and we're like, we may not even have a season. So I'm like, well, I'll just apply to law school and see what happens. Like, I'm going to apply to one school. I probably won't get in. Cool. Whatever. I get in. And like, I have to decide for school before the WNBA even decided that we're having season. And I remember being so scared. I called my agent who had routinely cussed me out over plenty of things for like family. And so I'm sure he's going to be like, what are you talking about? Like, no, like, okay. And he's like, is that what you want to do? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, are we going to law school? And then I call my GM and he's like, yo, that's dope. Congrats. Like, all right, when you're ready to come back, like, let's talk. Wow. And like, now, every every response was not positive. <laughs> Let's not guess that. I, but the I, people closest to me and the people I turned to first were yeah. like, that's dope, mommy. Yeah. Right? Um, and it's funny because I went and talked to one of my college teammates, high school um, team the other day. Um, she's now coaching high school. Went and talked to her kids. And like one of the girls asked me, like, have you always been this confident? And my teammate immediately answers like, yes. And I was like, huh, it's funny that that's your answer. Cause <laughs> no, <laughs> I was like, I think now, especially when it comes to basketball, because like coming back to basketball has been really hard. Mm. Um, I'm blessed that I got to play in Mexico this past summer, really because another one of my teammates was like, Hey, we need a post, like, come on. And like, she has no idea how big that was because that wasn't anything she was doing. She was just being herself and looking out for me. Mm-hmm. And because of her, I got to play again professionally and I got to show people I could still play basketball. And now I get to go play in China and play basketball again, and hopefully be in the WBA again next summer. Mm-hmm. But it's just like a little thing from her, right? And so when I was answering, especially with basketball, because basketball is hard just because like, if you get your confidence from scoring or winning games, like your your confidence is going to go up and down all the time because you just can't really control that. Right. You can do your best to prepare, but you really can't control the outcome. You can only do your best. And like when I asked, answer the girl, I was like, you know, I haven't always been this confident. Yeah. I was like, no, 
But one thing that I've learned in this space, in this season, which was hard, I had a real job. Um, <laughs> I had a real job. And I know I'm such a brat because me at 25 <laughs> getting a real job, you my know, first time having a 30-minute lunch. But you know what's crazy, Amani, is that in our last interview, I don't know if you remember, you literally said, oh, maybe I'll get a regular job. And fast forward four years later, <laughs> you I will send you the transcript. You literally said that. So I'm not saying oh, that you spoke it into existence, but you literally said that. And I just think it's, I think it's crazy. That's <laughs> and so like having a regular job is hard. I got a regular job. Yeah. I was going to school full time. I was hustling. And wow. even in that space, like of like struggle for real that I've never really had to do as an adult because out of college, I went straight to being a pro basketball player. Yeah. And like just taking care of myself and making a lot of money. I've never been in this space for real as an adult of having to like depend on people and like grind it out for real. And even in that space, there's never a moment where I was like, this is the wrong decision. Yeah. Like I never was like, damn, I wish I didn't do this. And when I was talking to the young girl, I was like, yo, like dream. You may not be able to, to like accomplish your dreams because that's life, but you deserve the dream. And even if people don't understand that, like, I don't know what y'all believe in, but for me, like, my God gave me the vision. He didn't tell the crew. He didn't tell the group chat. Like, he told me. Yeah. And it's my job to prepare for the opportunities and to do what I know to be true. And sure enough, when I finished law school, everybody was like, that's so dope. I knew you could. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's great. You're amazing. Oh, my God. And I'm like, y'all were just telling me I was stupid three years ago. <laughs> Y'all were just saying this was a crazy idea. Why would you do that? And blah, blah, yeah. blah. But that's the reality. Like, yeah. that gives you the vision. He tells you yeah. what you're supposed to do. And yeah. it's not your confidence is more so your faith in both your higher power, but also in you doing the work to be prepared for when the opportunity comes to fruition. Yeah. And like, that's what this last three years have been, man. Like, just trusting myself, putting in the work. And like being okay, even when things aren't okay, which yeah. I think for me has been huge. Wow. And honestly, just getting back to what you said about God giving you the message specifically, that's why it's up to us to make sure that we have a clear channel so that we can hear those messages directly and be able to act on it, you know, and not be distracted and, and focusing on other people's perception or trying to get other people's validation when it's really a direct conversation between you and God. So I really resonate with that deeply. Um, what were the, some of the conversations like, or were there conversations about mental health specifically in the locker rooms when, you know, you were kind of being more recognized as a mental health advocate? Were you someone that's like, okay, guys, let's, talk about our feelings or was it kind of, you know, more people felt more comfortable talking to you? Where did you become that go-to person on your team? Um, I think the WNBA and NBA have come so far in the last yes, five years. They have. I'm just so proud of what we've been able to yeah. do as an institution because when I started, like our head of like health and diversity or whatever mm -hmm. had no recommendation for me to get a, a therapist in my city, in my market. Wow. And I'm like, well, you don't know, and this is your job. Well, <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? And like, my therapist now is actually the, my team therapist when I played in Atlanta. And I'm like, we're going to oh. die together. Like, we're locked. But just even just having messaging, like the Global Mental Health Summit that I did put on by the NBA Players Association, mm -hmm. it was different players associations and like supporting staff from like literally leagues all around the world. Um, and even them just hosting that yeah, is and having those conversations and having a guide for both the NBA and the WNBA was not something that they had when I came into the WNBA. Um, so seeing that progression year after year, even like teams having options and like, it's uncomfortable going to the team psychiatrist sometimes. So obviously it may not be the best option, but the option being there right, has just grown from year to year. And now like we have multiple voices talking about mental health, right? We have Asia Wilson, we have Elizabeth Cambage, we have Kevin Love, we have DeMar DeRozan, John Wall, like all of these different voices from different walks of life, from different pay grades from like stars to people that have been just a staple player in the league like that 
is what I'm passionate about. Like, I don't want to be the only voice in the space. I think the way we create change is by having different perspectives and different stories because none of us look the same. And even if we come from the same area, the way we manage and deal with things are very different. And like, we are all on that spectrum of mental health, whether it be we have a mental illness or it be we just need a little help managing our emotions and coping with our daily experiences. And like, until we create an environment where that is like a regular thing where we check in and we talk about our feelings and it may not have to be on the scale that I do it. Right. But having at least a safe space around you, be it in your family, your loved ones, your career, your space, whatever that may look like for you, like that is the change we need to see. And so I am just so proud of us as a league. Yes. Seeing the work we've been able to do and just continually pushing it. Like we even have a playbook that we send out to the teams of showing them like different ways and things to get involved with. I think Mm -hmm. Sacramento had an entire position dedicated to just player wellness, um, both on the physical and mental health side. And so like it, it's so much more work to be done for sure, but we're headed in the right direction. And like, I believe like sports are microcosm of the real world. So when we do it and we see it with our athletes and our like quote unquote superheroes having these conversations, people that we look up to that we think have no issues or have things that we want and they're still struggling, then we can kind of acknowledge our own struggles and set up that, those conversations and places to talk about those things in the real world. Absolutely. Absolutely. I could not agree more. I'm also really, really proud of the progress that the basketball administration in general has had with mental health and you being definitely a huge, huge, huge advocate and a big voice in that conversation as well. So I'm just really I'm looking forward to what the future holds and excited to see you continue to be a part of that, hopefully. Um, So I know that you have a crazy schedule. I mean, you and I have been trying to coordinate this (laughs) for a minute on both of our ends, but you have obviously way more traveling on your hands and um, probably way more packed schedule. And so I want to know also, how are you balancing self-care with having such a kind of jam-packed schedule? Man, my cousin likes to say I'm like the busiest unemployed person ever. (laughs) <laughs> because what <laughs> but I think um having people that can see me yeah um and it's not a lot because again like I still am very guarded but the people that can see me know me well enough to be like no we need to like check in we need to like you're doing too much you're not okay like it's okay like, yeah. kinda, you know like hold me accountable to that um, I have my daily prayer journal. I don't be writing it in daily, but I'll be trying. And that's all that matters. <laughs> it's a thought that counts. Listen, yeah, it's all that matters. <laughs> um, but that kind of helps like just ground me both in gratitude, but also like I write on the front of all the pages. And then when I get to the end, I go back. So like normally they're mm. like maybe four to five months apart when I'm like looking at the one on the left versus the one I'm writing now. Mm. And it just really helps me track how God is living in my life, but also like, what am I still worried about? Or like, oh wow, like this was something I cared about back then, that's stupid. Like, you know what I mean? Like it just helps me kind of like keep perspective because I think when you're in your moments, like they feel so big. And then like, when you get out of them, you're like, that's crazy. (laughs) Like it wasn't that bad, you know? Or I'm like, wow, like that's still something I'm still dealing with. Okay, cool. You know, so I'm still have a therapist. Shout out to her because she'd be working on she'd be working with me when my budget be changing. So we're currently on hiatus, so my budget is back. But that's okay. Period. Um, but yeah, like I think I tried to just and even now, like I just had like one of my family members just got a really bad diagnosis and like so now we're figuring out like end of life stuff and like I just tapped out for a week. I was like, you know, we're my dad's like, hey, do you want to talk? Well, I'm dissociating. <laughs> yeah sorry we'll deal with it when we deal with it and i that was all i could do at that time like i couldn't do more and so for like maybe five six days like i just didn't deal with it and then when i finally was like okay let's calm down let's breathe let's figure this out and like my dad's like are you ready to talk ready to have some feelings (laughs) are you ready (laughs) and so i was ready to do it but that's probably the best coping mechanism 
but I was aware of the decisions I was making. And like that has come a long way as well. Of me, like, at least knowing that I'm not ready to handle it. And like that the things I may be doing are to distract me from these feelings or whatever that can be. So I try to just stay honest with myself and give myself grace because for me, I had a lot of shame attached to my mental illness and attached mm-hmm. to like not being okay and like having big emotions. So giving myself grace is something that's really, really big for me just because I can sometimes just be really hard on myself and like not allow myself to really process because you got to go through it, right? You got to feel the big right. emotions, the bad yeah. ones, because they're going to come whether you want them to or not. So you just have to feel it and figure out how you navigate that space. Yeah, uh, that's so true. Sometimes it's literally the the saying, you know, about sometimes the only way over it is through it and not having to hide your feelings or or push them away, but just actually sit with them and allowing yourself to have the space and the time, even if it makes other people uncomfortable sometimes, right? I'm sure there's times where people really need you or really want to talk to you or want to spend time with you and you just have to honor those needs that you have for yourself first. So I'm really glad to hear that you are prioritizing your mental health and your self-care so that you can show up and be that version of yourself that you want to be and that other people need you to be. Um, can you share some books or albums or anything that I know that you are someone that really appreciates art? And I would love to know, like, what are some of those inspirational pieces that have helped you along your self-care or your mental health journey? If you what a great question. <laughs> Um, I just read this book and I gave it to my friend and I actually got something tattooed out of the book too. And I'm trying to figure out what it was. Oh, I'm killing me. Um, dang it. That's going to kill me. Let me, let me see if she'll respond to my text message this quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but basically she's, she gets a, um, a diagnosis where she's like supposed to die in five months. She ends up living, but she's like going through the the walking us through like her emotional state of like she has a, a small infant at the time. She's a she's a theology professor because mm. that's how it goes, right? Um, what's the name of the book, girl? I gave you child. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she's talking about how she's like grappling with the end of her life, but also grappling with the things she studied and things she believed, and then like mm. just walking through these things. I think it's something along the lines of like everybody dies and other lives. I've told myself or something like that. Um, it's like, that. You never can remember stuff when you need to. I know. Um, but one of my, and then when I have like happy songs, mm-hmm. which I call like when I'm sitting, when I'm in like a really bad space, I listen to those songs. VB Winings. Um, not B ones. Anita Baker and B ones. Ain't no need to worry. Mm. That song will forever get me out of whatever mood I'm in, or at least like yes. just sit me down and like let yeah. me feel it. So I love that song. But the book I read, the tattoo I got, um, it's Latin. It says "Dumb Spiro Spiro." I got it tatted on my hand. It's next to my little smiley face. Um, that I have I have it in the credits of my hand because <laughs> I'm a child. But also <laughs> I love So that. basically like when I'm having a bad day, I just open it and I see my little smiley face. Oh, I so love it's that. Like, hey, chill out. And then I got dumb spiral sparrow, which is Latin for while I breathe, I hope. Ooh, and like that. that was like the last line of the book. I just that I just read that I can't remember the title of. <laughs> that was the last line of the book. And so like it kind of just reminds me like because I say like hope is your strongest weapon against darkness against like whatever you have like you have to keep that. And I think that's also like what people try to steal is hope. Like abusers, yeah. people that don't wish you well, they try to steal hope because if you think that this is the end, then it is. You know. So right. like. Just remembering that ah, I found it. Yes, yes, yes. It is called Every Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lives I've Loved by Kate Bowler. 
I feel like I've heard of that book. Yeah, a divinity professor and young mother with stage four cancer explores the pain and joy of living without certainty. Wow. Okay. We'll definitely have to link that because it sounds, first of all, familiar, but also it sounds like it has such a beautiful message. And it was Um, an amazing read. And she's like reading it out. She's like, oh my God, like I love it so much. And so, yes, I will keep my nose in the book. Um, I also just read another book called Emotional Inheritance. Um, Mm -hmm. A a therapist, her patients and the legacy of trauma. And she talks about Mm -hmm. how... um, Essentially, like if we don't address the traumas we have in our generation, like it, we pass it along. And also just like the scientificness of like the, your DNA is like actually altered when you go through trauma. Right. Right. And so like she tells stories about her patients and and navigates like what inherited trauma looks like. Um, and mm. she writes it in a novel way. So it isn't like super nonfiction where it's kind of heavy to read. It's still like you can right. get into the stories and the characters and stuff like that that book was really interesting just because it was kind of a story from every walk of life. Um, so I really enjoyed that one. I'm also think like, I'm going to check that out. I've seen how trauma has passed from generations, even though like you were trying your best to be anti this, you know? So like I was interested in just that respect. Um, I have way more because all I'm going to do in China is play basketball and read. So I'm going to (laughs) have, You got to send me your updated All list. The list. Um, but yeah, I think yes. I do love art and that is very much a way for me to just like calm down and like find a nice little break from things. I love it. And you be modeling too, first of all. Like let's, okay, trying, like you, you, you be modeling, you be having the photo shoots. So we, we're here for it. We're here for all of it. And all this, all the multifaceted versions of your self-expression are always welcome and we love to see it. Um, I also would love to know, you know, you said back in our very first interview in 2019 that your goal in life is to be the person that you needed when you were younger. Looking back on that now, what would you say to your future self? Hmm. Maybe Amani five years from now, based on all the all the beautiful lessons and challenging lessons that you've learned, what would you say to your future self? I don't know. I think it's really blowing me that I'm turning 29 because like I'm actually an adult. <laughs> like I'm reaching like real adult ages right now, which is blowing yeah. me because I don't I don't be feeling real adulty. I be feeling like like first level adulty, you know. It's just a number, girl, trust me. But <laughs> I hope, like, I really want a family in the next five years. So mm. I hope that I've taken time and space to devote time to that. I think um, I still am working through, like, my trust and reliableness of men. <laughs> And, mm. like, feeling comfortable in, like, dedicating time and space to, like, relationships and things of that sort. So I hope that in the, I've kind of moved, been more comfortable in those spaces. And, you know, hopefully in five years, I got a whole little family. We got a picket fence and a little baby and all. You know? <laughs> but most importantly, I hope that I'm just still chasing my purpose. I'm, I believe that like everything comes in its own timing, and like there was a point in my life where I felt like I had to like slow down the wait for my partner, and now I kind of mm-hmm. just have the mindset of like he'll find me chasing my love. Yes, and the more you pour into yourself and your your loved ones, your community, that love is inevitably finding its way back to you, one thousand percent. I'm trying to be like you when I grow up. i'm crying oh my god my last question for you before we do our rapid fire section is what does softness mean to you as a black woman Ooh, i love that um not being strong like you will never see me champion a strong independent black woman trope at all um, this can get me onto a whole tangent about white feminism and why that shit isn't going to be the downfall and like blah, blah, blah. But 
I will never be independent enough where I will not need someone. Like my independence, while it is like a strength of mine, it is not something I should have to rely on. I need help. Help me. <laughs> like, I want you to see me struggling and think that I'm worthy of love and protection and help. And I don't want to have to be in dire 911, the world is ending to require that or to be given that. I think softness for Black women um, is acknowledging all of the beautiful parts of your experience, even when they may be categorized different by other people. Like I have an aggressive tone and I'm gonna pop my shit and I'm gonna roll my neck and that shit is cute as fuck. Okay, apologies for my language. Period, Like, No, you can curse, girl. I love that. Like I am like, I love being a little rat and like, that's okay. In the same way, I deserve to be in these spaces as my full self, right? Like, yeah. I'm not going to press my hair because I'm going somewhere. If I don't feel like that's what I want to do. I'm not going to not, like, I spoke at Cornell last year and I quoted, I quoted Glorilla because, yes. Like, Period. So I think softness for a Black woman is being able to embrace your full identity in all spaces. Hmm. I love that. I love that so much. Wow. We are going to do a quick rapid fire question for you. So it's just five fun questions and it's whatever comes at the top of your head. There's no wrong answers. So ready? What is your favorite post game meal? I actually can't eat after games. Oh my God. Really? I'd be so, okay. What about before games? I'd be so hyped. Um, I just can't, like, I can't settle down. Before games, I have to, like, eat a lot. Like, I'm a snacker, so, like, at halftime, I have my little snack bags of snacks. Like, after I do my warm-up, I go back in the locker room and eat some more. Like, I eat a lot. (laughs) I eat fuel. (laughs) So, I don't know what it is, because it be changing, but it's, like, the same thing a lot. What's your, what's in your snack bag? Apples, chopped apples. Always. Little diced up apples, like I'm going to kindergarten. And then I'll know we have something <laughs> like really sweet because I have a sweet tooth all the time. I love it. I love it. Okay, next question. What What was your favorite and least favorite part about going to law school? There was no favorites. Um, <laughs> <laughs> law school is hell on earth. Do not do it. Zero out of ten. Don't recommend um my least favorite part was the lack of community like it is it's bred in law school for it to be a competitive environment and like there is no like we're gonna help you figure it out like I got academically academically disqualified and then I got I reapplied to get in and I was accepted and since I've been come back I've had a 3.0 average but it wasn't because I got smarter or I worked harder it was because I figured out how to do it (laughs) like that was all but because like law school is meant to like weed people out and we don't want people here. Mm-hmm. And it also is a very large barrier in terms of like class and race in terms of just the way they speak. Mm-hmm. There is no way to understand it unless you understand it or you have somebody help you through it. Um, so right. the worst part for sure is just like, it's very elitist. Um, it's slightly racist and not necessarily because the schools are like trying to be that way. It's just built on that type of foundation. Um, and I guess the best thing would be I finished. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's all. Yes. Period. Ooh, that's like so many other institutions that are just inherently yeah. ex- just not inclusive of so many of us. Um, next question. Who is the last person that you said, I love you to? <laughs> My homeboy, actually. Oh. Yeah, I, I went out. I just went, came back from Dallas this last night, and like I went out there just to work out because I haven't really gotten set up in Austin yet. And so, like when I left yesterday, I was just like, "All right, love you, love you too." <laughs> Shout out to the homies. What is the last album that you listened to that you did not skip any songs on? Yeah. To be honest, like 
haven't been in love like that with a song in a while. Like, <laughs> oh, you know, Kamari, he's like a R&B singer, really beautiful black man. He's like on the up. Kamari? Yeah, he had an EP he dropped recently. Very much Sounds a fan. Familiar. He's a beautiful man. And then Friday, actually Friday, Friday's album. Yeah. I really liked Friday's album. Oh yes. Yeah, I really liked his album. Yes. So yes, Friday was really good. Give it to Friday. Okay, okay, Friday got it. Um, okay, last question: What are three things that you would absolutely have to bring with you on a solo vacation? Mm. I'm going to need. Um, can is pen and paper two or one? That's one. I, I would consider that okay, one. So I need pen and paper. I need a book for sure. And lastly, like my vacation partner, which is my cousin. So she oh. counts as one. Thank you so much, Amani. I always love talking to you and catching up with you. And where can people find you on social media and keep up with all of your exciting journey and all the things. Yes, so I have a Twitter or an X, but I don't really I'm just not on it anymore. Twitter. Like it just <laughs> Elon just sucked the fun right out of me. So I don't really be on Twitter anymore Seriously. even though I have Eddie Mani Chashan with an underscore at the end. I M A N I T R I S H A W N. But I'm mostly active on Instagram, which is the same handle, just Imani Chashan, no underscore. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can always find me on Instagram. That's like my home, and that's kind of it. I'm too, I'm too old for TikTok. It confuses the hell out of me. I don't. So, <laughs> if you're too old for it, I'm too old for it because I still be like, uh, this it's is just, too much. I but don't understand I... how to work it. I feel like everybody that's on there needs a whole degree in graphic design because they be just editing, and I don't, I can't. <laughs> People are really like videographers on TikTok, like literally like video editors. I'm like, how do y'all have hey, how did you this? learn? Because <laughs> Oh yeah. I'm on Instagram. <laughs> okay. We will find you on Instagram and thank you so much for being on the Soft Life. I have so much respect and love and admiration for you. And thank you so much for being here. Um and we will catch up. Yes, soon. I feel the exact same way. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. Introducing Saudi Baddie's very first product, My Journey to Self-Love, the ultimate self-care guide by Saudi Baddies. Your transformational self-care journey starts right here. We've created the ultimate self-care guide just for you with over 60 pages designed to help you discover wellness routines and practices that actually fit your fast-paced lifestyle. Designed to be completed within eight weeks, this self-care guide encourages you to take simple, practical steps through introspection and awareness to deepen your self-discovery and healing journey. To stay connected, join Sadie Baddies on Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, and more, and sign up for our monthly newsletter on sadiebaddies.com to stay in the loop. Sending you hella love and stay soft, baddie. Thank you.